Leonard Lee here, the host of Say Yes and Become. And before we begin our conversation today, I want to tell you about Papa's Roast Coffee. It's my favorite. Papa's Roast is taken from a single origin coffee source and then roasted in small batches so you get an amazing quality with every bag you buy. The care and expertise shown by Dean and Debbie Christ in making Papa's Roast has made Papa's Roast my favorite coffee to drink each day. Now you can get your own Papa's Roast by ordering online at www.papasroast.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now let's get to today's conversation. Welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee. And today I have a very uh, special guest. Um, and when I say special, it means that we met uh, in person and spent a few days together. And what happened in my heart during those few days was that uh, I just knew I met a friend who had the same heart as me. Uh, and his name is Tim Rule. Uh, Tim, welcome to Say Yes and Become. Oh my goodness, it's so great to be with you, Leonard, again. Yeah, and and so Tim uh, is uh, he is the founder and director of Inner Life Ministries, and he's going to tell us about that in a minute. Uh, I'm assuming that uh, you probably want to let people know you're married and you know uh, your cholesterol level, anything like that. Feel free to to <laughs> share that. We can edit anything out. Um, Tim, tell us about you personally, and then I'm going to ask you a couple of questions about inner life ministries. Okay. Um, I'll tell you about my current life. My current life is I am married. I've been married about 40. Next June, you'll be 42 years. Wow. And I had, uh, I had, I had four kids and they're of course all out of the home and, and they've produced for me seven grandkids. And I tell you that, that is the that's my happy place. If you want to, if you want to know about my happy place, it's when I'm with all my kids, all my grandkids and my wife, um, uh, sitting around uh, my house and, uh, just listening to the chaos, all those grandkids are creating. And I just sit there and smile. I just love being with my family. That's, that's my happy place. What so, do your grandkids call you? Uh, they call me Poppy and they poppy. call Renee yeah they call my wife Renee Lolly so we're Lolly and Poppy well I love it oh. I always ask uh, people who say yeah hey, I got grandkids what do they call you and it's I mean it's it's everything from Mimi to Poppy to Lolly to Boompa and Oompa and everything else and I love it um, and and <laughs> yeah. then my second question on that is what do you like who do you like better your kids or your grandkids <laughs> oh well that's that's pretty tough that's but to pretty go on record you, you know <laughs> I, I love both of them, but my grandkids are a whole lot easier to raise. Let's just say that. <laughs> Boy, that's a truth there, huh? Yeah. So, yeah. well, I am so glad you're here. And uh, 42 years of marriage in June, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's um, that's a yeah. whole lot of life and learning and love and faithfulness there. And uh, uh, Tim, you come from a background of... Um, of uh, uh, what we used to call Campus Crusade for Christ. And, that's right. Uh, and now yeah. it's called crew. Um, right. And uh, those that that's where you sort of, so to speak, you cut your teeth in yeah. uh, what shaped your ministry today. Tell us how you got involved with crew. Yeah, I, I came to know Christ through Campus Crusade at uh, Idaho State University. I was a freshman there and uh, staff member shared, shared Jesus with me through the four spiritual laws, if you remember that. And uh, I I had a very very strong conversion experience. I mean, mm. when uh, I prayed to receive Christ with this staff member, 
uh, I really uh, had a radical change. I, I, I felt, you know, to this day, I'd say this, I felt like there were scales that dropped off my eyes. I went, when I walked out of the student union building after receiving Christ, he, he just spent under an hour with me and shared Christ and it changed my life. And I, I walked out of that building and I just saw differently. I, I, I uh, saw the, the trees differently. I saw people differently. I thought if, the, if what I just was told is true, then I was talking to God and I was just saying, you created those trees and you created these people. And all of a sudden the world just changed for me. And I began to uh, just have this ravenous appetite for scripture. I would skip classes. I was a psychology major, Idaho State, and I would skip classes just reading the Bible and because uh, it just came alive to me. So my, my conversion experience was truly a conversion experience, and my world changed. And uh, so, yeah, so growing up in Crew, um, one of the things Campus Crusade is all about is getting students on missions projects, and yeah. that's what I did. Every summer, I went on a mission project, and and uh, we'd we'd typically go someplace where there's beaches, and I'd be hitting the beach as a college student, sharing Christ with college students, and and uh, I just saw God do things during my college years, sharing Christ with others, where I just saw people uh, understand the gospel, have the same type of experience I had. Their eyes were open. Yeah. Uh, to to a different reality uh, after they had received Christ, and I just thought, man, this is the most significant thing I think I could do is be sharing Christ with people and and making disciples. So it, it was a it was a natural thing for me to want to to become involved in, it, especially after I'd hear Doctor Bright, who was yeah. the president of Campus Crusade at that time, and to give you a little insider information. Even at that time, we called it crew. Everybody that was involved in it would call it crew. They just officially changed the name later okay. on. Okay, all right. But but uh, with crew, you know, uh, Dr. Bright would come and speak at our conferences. And at our conferences, he, he always had this rhythmic message that he gave all the time, th that don't leave your first love was a rhythmic message that he kept giving out of Revelations. And then the other rhythmic message he he would he would give is an invitation, and the invitation was come help change the world. Mm. And mm. and after going on all these missions trips, I thought that's the most significant thing. That's the best thing I could do in my life. Mm -hmm. And so I said I I'm going to do that. And that's how I ended up on staff with Crew was through that invitation that Dr. Bright kept giving, come help change the world. And so did my wife. Um, my my wife Renee uh, took that invitation up, and we both got married and and worked for a year, and then we raised support and joined the staff of, with of Crew. So that was kind of my my introduction to Campus Crusade. Wow, I think um, I think that uh, Crew has been one of the most significant uh, organizations in in impacting the globe. With the good news of Jesus through Jesus film, through its multiple venues of technology, through just uh, its literature, through its print, and then through its discipling of leaders who become disciple makers. And so uh, if you get a chance to uh, listen, if you're listening, if you get a chance to uh, run into somebody from crew, 
or go to their website uh, and learn more about them. Learn more about Bill Bright and his amazing wife. And just um, these were people who who caught a fire and just would not let it be put out. Yeah. Um, don't lose your first love and you're invited to change the world. It's kind of their theme. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That, at least that was Bill's. And then Bill, Bill always preached, you know, the message that if you reach tomorrow's leaders, you reach the world. And mm -hmm. so that's why we really went after college students heavily is because yeah. if you reach the leaders, you reach who follow them. Yeah. And yeah. so that was, that was the the thing that fueled our, tenacity to go after college students. Hmm. You know, I worked uh, for Youth for Christ for uh, quite a few years. And one, at one point in time, uh, and I don't know if this is all, all the way true, but somebody said at one point in time, about 75% of pastors in the United States had a history in Young Life, Campus Crusade, InterVarsity, or, or, uh, or Youth for Christ, uh, that the... And so these organizations didn't just reach leaders, they grew leaders who led in multiple other venues and other places. And uh, uh, it's yeah. just yeah. pretty, pretty significant. Um, yeah. And so yeah. how long were you with crew? I was with crew 27 years. Okay. Yep. Yep. So, so I, I uh, served two years in Fresno state as a new staff member. Then I took over the ministries in Sacramento um, uh, at, for the city, I was reaching the, the campuses there in Sacramento. Then I became a area director for Campus Crusade for Northern California. Mm -hmm. Then I became a regional director for a seven state area in the greater Northwest. And that's, okay. that's where I spent most of my years was as a regional director in the greater Northwest. You know, it's interesting because, uh, you're talking about all my stomping grounds, and in all that time, we never ran into each other until <laughs> what a month and a half ago in Denver yep. through a mutual friend. Yep. We all got together to talk about uh, Jesus and discipling men, and and uh, just had an incredible uh, few days together. Uh, just how much how great it is to have connected uh, with you. Uh, oh. It just feels like the timing was perfect, but it feels a little too late sometimes. Like just I, think I how agree. much trouble I, we could have caused. I just so greatly, greatly appreciated my, my time with you too, Leonard. I, and and uh, hearing of, of all of your adventures around the world. And, you know, uh, you just, we're, we're definitely like-hearted in our, our desires to, to reach people for Christ and disciple men. So I just loved meeting you. Come change the world with us. That's what we're saying right now. Yep, Hear that. Yep. Come do so, it. Come do it. And so uh, after 27 years, uh, you you left crew, and we're just kind of telling your story. Um, yep. You left crew. Uh, did you, you lead a ministry today right now called Inner Life Ministries? Did you yep. move straight into that or did, was there an interim there? Well, you, you know, the, how I got into what I'm doing today with Inner Life Ministries is um, I, I, um, I, I really thought at, in Campus Crusade, I thought we had an effective outreach. I felt like we saw a lot, a lot of people come to know Christ. And li literally, I, I've been able, through the grace of God, to see thousands of college students receive Christ. And then we obviously, and Dr. Bright actually really valued discipleship and multiple, this principle of multiplication, that 2 Tim Timothy 2.2 was, was really a, a huge philosophy for us in those 
early staff years with Campus Crusade for Christ. So discipleship was a big deal. However, I felt like um, our discipleship was ineffective. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we we were really good in crew and giving the basics and and going through why we should be actively sharing our faith and discipling men. But we were losing college students left and right. So, for example, this was an actual statistic that if we saw 100 college freshmen come to know Christ by the, the fourth year, by their senior year, only about six or seven of them were sticking around. Hmm. So in other words, we're losing over 90% of the students that we'd see come to know Christ. They would no longer be involved by their senior year. And so I I, I just tried to do some deductions, think, what why is this happening? What's going on? And um, what, what I found is after I started taking uh, – classes at Western Seminary, uh, there was a guy named Dr. David Ekman who became a mentor for me. And I saw Dr. Ekman uh, open his scriptures with both our staff, with crew and our students. I started watching him do this and start unpacking the gospel, unpacking the scriptures in such a way it was starting to go to those places that our discipleship was not going. Mm. And that was the places of their deep people's deepest hurts, Mm -hmm. their deepest doubts and uh, where they, where they really needed uh, some answers. I saw Dr. Ekman start doing that. And uh, after watching him do that, I started pulling him uh, after I, I became introduced to him. I started pulling him to every venue we had, every staff conference, every student leadership conference. And I'd watch him do this over and over and over for probably, literally, probably uh, almost 10 years. And and finally, I, I Dr. Ekman was getting older and I, I came to him one day and I said, listen, uh, you've got to somehow can what you do. And, and, Make this so that you know I was I was big when Campus Crusades big and transferable concepts. I was thinking you got to make this transferable, and he said, "Hey, I'm not going to do that. Uh, that's <laughs> that's not my gig." Uh, but he said he looked at me, and he said, "You know, if anybody's going to do that, it'd be you." And uh, I walked away from that conversation kind of sad because uh, I have a job. I I don't need another job, and um, the Lord just used that comment from David to work on my heart. Two weeks later, my wife and I thought, you know, that this is what we got to do. We got to somehow can what we have observed him doing uh, for years and take it to the campus ministry. So I approached Campus Crusades National Leadership, asked them, would you pay me to write a discipleship process that goes to those deeper places uh, of, of a disciple's heart. And they said, yes, surprisingly, they said, yes, they'd pay me for two years to write this thing. So that's how this happened. Mm-hmm. I spent two years writing it and testing it, but I didn't test it on the college campus only. I tested it in local churches and their response was, Hey, after testing this there, their response was, Hey, you got to, you can't take this to just campus crusade. You got to take this to the church. So we just kept giving, getting that invitation over and over. Finally, we heard, I think this is God's invitation. I think this is God inviting us into something. And so at a very 
scary time of the economy, 2008. Oh yeah. We le- we left Campus Crusade and started not Interlife Ministries at that time is called uh Aphesis Group Ministries. Mm-hmm. Uh we we re- rebranded last fall a year year ago because no one could number one no one could pronounce Aphesis. Everyone kept calling it Aphesis. <laughs> That's not when, good when, marketing. That's not good. Yeah, it just sounds like something you stepped on in your yard and you're trying to get it off your foot, you know. But that's I just what, saw your logo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so we rebranded uh, a year ago and called it Interlife Ministries, which is uh, Aphesis was the word I thought was a great description because it's the New Testament word for forgiveness. Mm. And but we just didn't want to call it forgiveness ministries, you know, yeah. people put us put us in a box and put us on the shelf. But yeah. we thought, Hey, let's get, have a name where people ask some questions. That's what the spirit of that was, but it was still a bad idea. It was a bad idea to label <laughs> it as aphesis. So that's how this thing got started. Wow. And uh, now that is since 2008. So that is 15 or so years now. Right. Yep. And, yep. Uh, and I was in India in 2008 and I had a team over there. Uh, and, uh, we were there right as everything was falling apart. I mean, it was like one hit after another. And I thought, man, what am I, what world am I going to come home to? What economy, yeah. everything, you know, everything I said, well, this is bubble, the bu- this bubble's bursting and savings and loans. And I thought I'm going to come home to a kingdom whose King is Jesus. And, uh, cause that will not be affected. And, yeah. uh, and so yeah. I remember that. So you guys start this in, in 2008, uh, take a step of faith and you, you walk through and, uh, and, and um, tell us uh, in, in sort of, um, well, you describe it how you choose. I won't give you a time frame or sentence structure. Um, tell us what this ministry does um, so that the people listening can go, oh, now I understand where you went with this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let, let me, so the basic is this, the basic why, why do we have this ministry? The basic why is this, we think every believer should actually experience the gospel transformation that it, the gospel is much more than just buying you fire insurance, right? Something should be shifting in, in a believer's heart in their spiritual, emotional and relational life. That's where we we're missing the, the mark is uh, we weren't, we really were not discipling believers, emotional life and their relational life. We were, we were discipling their spiritual life, but we really needed to, to provide some more answers for them in their emotional life and their relational life. So th- this is how we do it. So uh, we, we use, we're all about safe group environments, small groups. We, mm-hmm. we believe in a small group environment. A community-oriented type process that engages people's pain with the truth of the gospel, and and that's a big deal for us. That, that I think that's why we're losing so many people uh, in in our in our discipleship and crew because we really were not providing real answers for people's pain. Now, mm-hmm. let me just say this: that believers are going to hurt. Believers are going to have pain. We're we're living in a fallen world. We're not trying to do away with pain. That's impossible. But the gospel or our discipleship should be providing answers for what am I supposed to do with that pain? Mm. 
Mm, what yeah. what is God's plan for it? And so that's that's what we wanted to do is provide a safe group environment, community-oriented process that engage people's pain with the truth of the gospel. So how we do that uh, um, is that way. And then what we do is so we we train, we resource Christian leaders, both in the church and in Christian organizations to help others address their inner life issues. Okay. So it, 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 to encapsulate it, that's the, the why and the how and the what. That's what we do. Man, that is such an important thing. When we're with uh, Youth for Christ, we always say nobody nobody grows uh, spiritually beyond where they are emotionally. And yeah. so if you're an emotional 12-year-old, you're going to be a spiritual 12-year-old. You can be you can be brought forward by growing spiritually for emotional healing, which I'm assuming that you already know. Um, but if you don't fix some of those deep wounds of the heart, yeah. Um, and so um, yep. Yep. the a theme that runs heavy through your thought processes, or it seems to, based on conversations, based on looking at some of the things, uh, is the whole idea of understanding where you come from. Um, that is actually, uh, what you noticed when you walked out and saw trees, uh, you saw, you saw a creator, uh, I come from this person and that was part of your radical transformation, at least as I understand your words. Absolutely. Um, tell me about the, why you think that is our origin, where we come from. Yeah. Yeah. Why is that powerful? So let me say these these are the core thoughts for me mm-hmm. that uh, we have what we instinctively do. We have default beliefs and no matter what I say, I believe that when I'm put under a lot of pain and under, under a lot of stress, I'm always going to go to my instincts, mm-hmm. my default beliefs. So this is what I believe. This is a strong, strong core belief for me. The gospel was intended to change my instincts. Hmm. The gospel was always intended. My encounter with Jesus, my encounter with God should change my default beliefs. There's those beliefs I say I believe, but then I have my default beliefs, what I really at my core believe. So th- this is the thought. There's there's information I know and think as a believer that I think and believe and I say I believe is true. But when I'm put under a lot of pain and stress, the things I do are really going to be influenced by my instincts and default beliefs. So discipleship should change and challenge my what I would call my fallen instincts, mm-hmm. my fallen default beliefs. That's what God's heart is to do, is to change me from a fallen world view, a fallen world instinct and default belief to a risen belief, a new belief, a new creation instinct. Yeah. And so that's that's how I I, I I disciple differently is we've got to go and and show people how the gospel, how God wants to change those instincts and how he does it. And how he does that is he he wants to basically uh, say, okay, this is this is how you used to think and believe. And now, this this is what I want you to put on. That that's that Ephesians four passage. Right. Put off your old self, which belongs your former manner of life, 
and is corrupted through the deceitful desires, which I, I think that's an interesting statement. My old self is continually corrupted to, to my, in other words, if you look at that in original language, it's my desire to deceive. I deceive myself, I deceive everyone around me. But in reality, God wants me to take that off and to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. That's where it all begins. I renewed the spirit of my mind and put on the new self. So here's the question. How can I disciple somebody if, if I don't have them first challenge the old self? How can they take off the old self when they haven't identified it? That, that is a key thought. How can they take off something they haven't identified and gone mm. after? So that's why we, you, you said, why do we go, you know, back and start talking about what happened at the fall? That's a critical part of our discipleship. What happened, what's happening in our culture? Mm. And we call it fallen culture. Right. And then what's happening, uh, what happened in my fallen family, uh, which, you know, even secular experts say 90 six percent of us come from dysfunctional family uh backgrounds it, boy if you if you really think about it a secular psychologist saying that is that's pretty profound yeah the bible says a hundred percent of us do but even for secular psychologists to say hey 96 percent of us come from backgrounds that are just screwed up <laughs> we better right. we better listen to that yeah. So we, we we would say uh, there's four big life shapers. There's the what happened at the fall, the DNA that's in us, mm -hmm. what's happening is in us because of culture, what's happening in us because of the family, and because of the the devil or the the evil one's active activity in our life. Those are the four big instinct shapers, de default belief shapers. So that's why we think we got to go after those things in our discipleship. Oh man, that you, you, you open up about 4,000 questions in my mind. Um, we tend to, people tend to believe the first message that they heard about themselves. Uh, and that goes back to the default. So if you believed you were no good, uh, you might have all the self-esteem help in the world and have read every book on it. Uh, but under pressure, you tend to go back unless there is a transformation. Yes. And Amen. so in this process of transformation, um, what are some of the, um, this new creation, this, you know, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, new has come. Uh, there's this whole thematic thing throughout scripture of God making all things new creation yeah. restoring redeeming and so on um what you just listed four of them um what is it about these four things the fall our culture family and our enemy that just seems so effective yeah uh, and be, because it feels like you just you created just a, that a, you just told me about a, a, a literally a tidal wave that i cannot stop mm, yeah yeah, and and I I fully agree with what you just said. I cannot stop a tidal wave. I cannot stop, but God has every intention to stop. And you know, this is when we get into the whole discussion of what is the sanctification process or the the spirit the spiritual formation process. So there's something 
God has a heart to recover me from. And that that's, you know, I just opened up uh, Ephesians 2, and you you know this very well, Leonard, uh, where it's 2 verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In other words, you, you're a walking dead person. That This is the Bible's first reference to, to zombies. You were a walking <laughs> yeah. dead. Yeah. Uh, you're dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. And now he's going to start labeling those things. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that is now working the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest of mankind. So that's where I think those four things are referred to. The course of this world, I would define is culture and family. Right. And of course, the prince of the power of the air is self-explained. But then they, he said there was a nature. Yeah. There, there's this nature that's active in us. And so these were these were the things that originally formed us. The, why they're so powerful is that it, we it was our nature. It was the very core of our being. Yeah. And we're being shaped within and without by by this fallenness but that's where the the famous but god comes in Uh, but god being rich in his mercy and uh because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were walking dead in our trespasses and sin he made us alive together with christ so that i feel like those verses encapsulate here's the process yeah. We were once walking dead in in these things that shaped us, but God, being rich in mercy because of yeah. His love, love made us alive in Christ. So, unfortunately, th- this is this is what I found through all those years of Campus Crusade, is that even though people would receive Christ, and I believe they were new, they were new creations, and were by nature in their nature, saved. They weren't walking in their savedness. Yeah. Um, they were still indulging in the de- desires of the flesh and of the mind. They, they were still being yanked around by the, the prince of darkness. They're, they're still being yanked around by, the, by all these old belief systems. They have to be challenged. Those things have to be challenged. Right. And so, Leonard, maybe you've done this before. I, I get the opportunity to speak in churches. I don't speak in as many, near as many churches as you do, or near as many people as you do, but I, I speak in a, a good amount. And I always make it a habit to say, How many of you, right before I get started, I say, How many of you, after you received Christ, got basic follow up? Mm-hmm. That, that somebody sat down with you and explained the basics. So out of a cl- crowd of three or 400, typically you'll see about six or seven hands raised up. Right, right. Now that is a problem mm-hmm. that we're seeing people come to know Christ and we're not even establishing them in the basics of the Christian faith. Yeah. Yeah. And, and if you ask how many of you have been mentored or discipled, out of three or four hundred, you've you've seen this. I know this is yeah. this is your this is your lane. I know you know this. 
that even fewer yeah. have ever had intentional discipleship done with them. This is a problem. When there's this core of, of this fallen nature, this fallen culture and family that we're coming from, and people are not having it challenged with the scripture other than a Sunday morning message, which people half attend to and, and they have not attend to because they're looking at their phones during the sermon half the time. I told so, you that's because I use the verses on my phone. You don't have to rat me out to the whole audience. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Actually, that's what I'm doing right now is I'm looking at my phone, reading my Bible on my yeah. phone. Uh, but, but you, you know, this more than anybody, all, all of what I just said. Well, let me, let me ask you this. Um, what are, you and I have talked to pastors and I love pastors. And so mm -hmm, please, mm -hmm. and anybody listening, do not think of these words as negative towards pastors because they're not, but the church has substituted some things for discipling. Uh, what, and when I look at a list of them and I could probably come up with a list and, and uh, what do you see as what has been substituted for the process of literally sitting down and saying, I need to walk with you um, because we're leaving babies on the birthing table is what yep. we're doing. Yep. yep. What, but, but there's just a lot of people out to say, well, we've, we're doing this. Yeah. What, what do you think we've substituted for actual discipling of somebody? Yeah, I, I'm glad you gave that little caveat that you love the church and so do I. I, I love I love the local church. I love the, the big C church and I love the little C church. Okay. Um, the church in, in in general and I love my local church and our local churches. That that's what we do. We work with local churches yeah. in this discipleship gig. So I, I do love the church, but but we we've lost an intentionality to disciple people um in a, an intentional process of discipling so um let, let me just tell you of something that we did so this mentor of mine dr david ekman started a survey among churches and he asked this question he had his his seminary students help him with this so he would give them the this assignment go to local churches and ask two questions uh do you have an active discipleship program in your church? And if so, what is it? Hmm. So two church, two questions. He said what got reported, 60, 60 of these churches were surveyed through their, uh, through their seminary, his seminary students. And he said, out, out of that 60, only six would say they had a, a intentional discipleship process. And only four of them could identify what it was. Mm -hmm. So think about that. So I took that and I ran with it. We we have, we get interns in our ministry, and so I thought the best, most life changing thing I could do with this intern intern is have her go survey all these local churches around us and ask the same questions. We found the same thing that most of them could not identify identify a specific discipleship process that they had. So what, what that leads me to conclude is we, we do have some activities we think are making disciples. And I, what I think those are to answer your question now is I think it 
is I think we're we're having them sit in those pews mm-hmm. and we disseminate information to them. And we hope that that information, that biblical information we're teaching out of the Bible is going to change their life and challenge those instincts and default beliefs. Mm-hmm. I, I think that is the core of most church programs. I think if churches step it up, they will have home groups. And most of the home groups uh, or the growth groups will review what the sermon uh, of that last Sunday was, and they'll they'll have discussion questions around that. And uh, that that is their next attempt to challenge the default the, the beliefs and instincts of of the believer. Uh, so I th- that's that's the long answer I'd okay. have uh, to your question. Okay, uh, it would seem to me that as we as you talk about the inner life and those uh, those pains, those hurts, those things that that have formed us from our earliest years, our origin, that um, that those are even if they're addressed in a sermon or if they're addressed in a class format, um, those are not things that are rooted out from up front, right. They're right. rooted out in face to face through a process. Yeah. So, inner life ministries uh, is this 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 uh, amazing uh, organization with the value to say how do we connect you uh, to a person? Yes. Who can yeah. root this out with you? Who can walk with you in the transformation process? Is that an accurate way to describe it? That's a very accurate way to describe it. Yeah, we we would say very quickly, concepts do not change a life. Mm, it's an encounter that. with the living God yeah. that changes your life. And God is not a concept. No. He's a person. Yeah. So what, what saves us is a person, not, not a bunch or a grouping of concepts or Christian teachings. It's a person. Now, if those concepts and those teachings get me to know that person better, it's of great value. Right. But but um, I think those two things are different. And to be honest with you, Leonard, I think in Campus Crusade, we did teach kind of Christianity is a grouping of understanding some concepts. That's kind of a Dr. Bright type of right. thought. But really what I think is life-changing life changing is encountering Christ, mm. is encountering God. Now, in my discipleship, if I'm doing that in such a way that they're encountering the, the almighty living God of the universe, the God, God the Father who created all things, and His Son, Jesus Christ, right. and, and understanding the ministry of the Spirit, that is transformational. But but that's done differently. That that is a different process. Uh, we tend to add concepts to concepts, uh, so it goes in a file that says, "Well, you know, it's like uh, in first grade, I learned uh, I learned uh, you know the phonetics of of reading and writing and arithmetic. I learned the basics. Well, I take those concepts and I add to them in second grade, and then third grade, and fourth grade." That tends to be how we educate people. Um, but if I'm being really honest with you, it was Shirley Boswell. It was uh, Janice Cooley. 
It was uh, Cam Olson. These, it wasn't their concepts. It was these people. Yeah. You know, um, who transformed my thinking as a, uh, as a first grade kid, I probably got spanked five or six times a day. I was back in the day when you could get spanked (laughs) in school, you know, and, and I'm not going to say I deserved it, but I probably did. I was, uh, you know, the rules of keeping your hands to yourself, sitting and being quiet. I wasn't good at those. Um, but every time I got paddled, uh, Shirley Boswell, who is alive today, amazing person. Uh, every time she paddled me, she would grab me in her arms and she would hug me and she would say, Leonard Lee. God loves you. I love you. And he has made you special. What changed, what began to change my life was not her paddling, but the fact that I believed her Mm -hmm. because it wasn't a concept. It was a relationship. It was a Mm -hmm. person telling Mm -hmm. me something. Uh, I just, uh, on one of our other podcasts that we just talked about, um, I asked the question about believability. Um, you know, Tim, I've heard more sermons than I can count. Mm. And uh, a while back I was listening to a person preach and I went, I just don't believe them. Mm. They're not saying anything untrue. I'm Mm -hmm. not doubting the veracity Mm. of what they're saying. They're exegeting scripture correctly. I just don't believe that they believe. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about the idea that if you're a discipler, Mm -hmm. What do you have to truly believe about what you're doing? So oh man, believing. yeah. Let me let me think about that. I mean, I mean, if I'm discipling, I've got to believe in the one. You, you know, when a disciple's maker is someone who's having people follow as a disciple, not them, but the the uh, the King of Glory. They're they're following Jesus. They're not. They're not my disciple. They're Jesus' disciple. So hopefully whatever I'm doing is is conducive to them following him. So I would guess what what my instinct to tell you is, boy, if I don't believe him, if I don't believe this is all real, if I don't uh, uh, trust in what he's saying and and have some basic obedience to what I'm trusting in, um, I would think that that disciple is going to sniff that out. Like you said, they're going to s- sniff that out in a city second. They're, yeah. they're going to go, this guy doesn't even believe what they're saying I should follow. So I, I, I think, it, you know, the first thing I have to examine before I be, make disciples is, do I believe this stuff? Yeah. And I, I always I always am checking myself. Like when I'm asked to speak on something or do something, I, I will often, honestly, I'll just go, okay, do I believe this? <laughs> this is really true. And I'll wake up even some mornings. I wake up and go, man, I'm giving my entire life to this. I don't get paid all that much to do this. Right. I could make a whole lot more money doing other things. And so do I really believe this? And and I'll go through the facts and I'll go through what I've experienced. I'll go, I do, I believe this. Yeah. This this stuff's true. And boy, if this is true, what else would matter? Mm. What what else would really matter? 
So I think that's the first ingredient for discipleship is you better believe it. Yeah. Do you really believe this stuff? Uh, so in, interesting, Leonard, uh, this is not off topic. This is on topic. Um, when we started this ministry and started extending this type of discipleship process, which is untying the knots of the heart, by the way, mm -hmm. it's not inner life ministries. Right. Our, our flagship ministry is untying knots of the heart. And we started extending it to local churches. This is what happened is uh, when we we're when I was talking with all these pastors and these missionaries, and we're used with a lot of missionaries, by the way, for missionary care. Um, they would say, hey, could I talk to you about something? Mm. We became a safe place for all these pastors and missionaries to talk about their deepest hurts and their deepest doubts with God. And so that kind of became this byproduct of what we were doing, but it became obvious that God was calling us to do it. But but this is what I started hearing because of that. I started hearing pastors go, you know, I've, I kind of lost my heart to do this a long time ago. Mm. I don't really want to be doing this, but I'm not, I don't have any other training to make another type of living. I don't know what else to do. And I think my wife would be so upset <laughs> if she knew I wanted out of this gig. Right. Because this is, this is pastors doing this for 20, 25 years. Yeah. And they're saying to themselves, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. In other words, they've lost their heart mm. to, to do ministry, lost their heart to make disciples because they started doubting their own faith. A lot of these guys mm. were doubting their own belief system. And so uh, it, it, a lot of guys in ministry, you know this too, mm -hmm. th this just becomes a job. Yeah. It stops being a calling and something that they're, they're, they're deeply invested in with, in a passionate way. And it just becomes a job to them. So I think long answer again, boy, do I believe this stuff? Yeah. And if this is true, what are, what are the implications of that right. to my life? And to other people's lives. Right. And I, I don't think that's a one-time question to answer. I think it's a, it's a, if not a daily, at least a weekly or monthly question. Right. Do I believe this stuff? Is I this, think is, it's a great is all this true? Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's a great answer, Tim. I appreciate that. I appreciate the heart behind that. Um, I think when we talk about uh, believability, um, and I, I use this as an illustration, um, we substitute energy for believability. Uh, we substitute hype for believability. So if I can say it dynamically, wow. or if I can wow. say it with energy, then you're going to believe me because yeah. that's how we sell stuff. That's how we yeah. sell cars. Yeah. It's how we sell yeah. beds. It's how we sell food. You know, yep. come here and get the very best you've ever had. And uh, and the reality of it is, is that there's a lot of people with, they have to do spiritual gymnastics to truly believe that the best of your life is the best of your life when you come to yeah. Jesus. Yeah. Because we don't understand how to define best of your life. We don't understand. Yeah. And, and, you know, when the gospel says, uh, come to me and die, you know, uh, I tell people uh, frequently, the first thing that grace does is pronounces me dead. Yeah. That's when it begins to yeah. do its best work in me. Yeah. Amen. Um, you know, which is what uh, Ephesians 2 says, yep. you know, and you go backwards in Ephesians 2 and there's a parallel. Ephesians 1 talks about 
the work that brought Christ back from the dead and exalted him is the same yeah. power that brings me from the dead and exalts me. Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, and that, that Paul's saying, I'm praying that you would know that kind of power because you were dead. Yeah. And so there's more to more to your faith than just a concept of, yes. of moving from darkness to light. There is a transformation. Yes. And so we have substituted in our culture the idea that uh, if I bring you energy, it's got to be true. You know, if I'm excited yep. about it, so sincerity equals truth. Yes. Uh, and I've been sincerely wrong almost as many times as I've been <laughs> sincerely right. Yeah. And, um, and so when we're talking about the idea of discipling somebody, when we're talking about untying the knots of the heart, um, can you give me an example of a knot that would be in, in the heart of someone that you go, this is how we untie that. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Um, that is a great setup. <laughs> I, I uh, would say the, the most common is this, that because in our discipleship, we don't do a good job of giving people the theological framework and understanding of what am I supposed to do with my hurt? Mm. What am I supposed to do with my pain? Uh, we, you, what's commonly said is we simply say this thing, uh, just give it to God, just, just give it up to God. And we all shake our heads and say, yep, yep. That's what we're to do. Give it up to God. And, and then we walk away from those discussions. I still don't know what in the heck I'm supposed to do with my heart, but I, I'm somehow supposed to give it up to God. Well, and then we feel like I, failures when it comes back. Yes. Yes. Because I don't understand still yeah. the, the, the basic thought of what I'm supposed to do in my heart. So we have this little graphic where it shows this guy. If you picture a guy sitting in a chair and a, and a projector pops out of his head. And that projector is projecting onto the screen something that that guy is watching. And what he's watching is all the ways he's been hurt. Mm. So when you say, what is the most common knot that we see, or a, a common knot, that is it, that we fixate on our past hurts. Mm. We fixate how, how the world has messed us up, how this particular person has hurt me. And, and in our fixation on our hurt, we think that's a good idea because we think, well, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. Mm. I'm not going to let that particular hurt happen. I'm not going to let a person like that mess me over again. I'm not going to let a guy like that do that or a woman like that hurt me again. But what we're doing is we're fixating on our pain and fixating on our hurt. And so... What does God do to step into that knot? So that hurt, fixa fixating on my past presents a bunch of knots. Mm. Fixating mm. on my pain get just knots up the heart. And so what does God do with that? God comes in and, and, and he says, okay, this is going to be a problem for you. And Why? Because not only do you fixate on the hurt that others have done, you can fixate on what you think I have done to you mm. and the hurts that I have caused. And so that causes a spiritual knot. Mm. 
that we think God has messed me over. So God comes in and he says, okay, this is going to be a problem for you because it's going to challenge a fundamental thing that keeps you connected to me and keeps you connected to others. And this thing is called trust. So a person who fixates on their hurt and their pain will stop trusting. When a person stops trusting, they are disconnected from people and from God Mm. because the currency of heaven is faith. Faith is just a simple way of saying I'm trusting in someone I can't see. I'm trusting in something I can't see. It's trust. Fixating on pain is a challenge to trust. Fixating on pain is a challenge to faith. Mm. So uh, God comes in, he goes, okay, my, my currency is relationship and connection with myself and with, with my people. So if you keep fixating on your on your pain, that's going to be a problem. So I'm going to introduce you to a, a very important kingdom value, and it's called forgiveness. Mm. I want you to forgive. And so this is something I taught. I, I did conferences, I did retreats, and I spoke on forgiveness for years, and I didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> like what, what you were saying, that we teach these, these concepts confidently, and we say it with vigor and with, with great passion. We don't know what we're talking about. That was me talking about forgiveness. I didn't know what I was talking about. Forgiveness means this. I, 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 if you go back to the guy with the projector, you shut off the projector yeah, and you don't fixate any longer on how that person's hurt you or how that organization hurt you or how that church has hurt you. You don't fixate it on fixate on it. You, You shut it off and you take that hurt and that pain and you put it on the cross and you can say that's a, someone sinned against me. Well, you take that sin or you take that trespass, you take that pain and you put it on the cross and watch the blood of Christ flow over that pain and wash it away, yeah. just as it's washed my personal sin yeah. away. And then I stop fixating on it. That 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 is the scriptural principle of forgiveness. Now, we don't equate forgiveness with reconciliation, two different concepts. Right. Reconciliation means I, I re-extend trust. I'm called to forgive everybody. But God doesn't call me to trust everybody. He calls me to forgive them, to shut the projector off and quit fixating on the pain of my past. And so that what I need to fixate on is this beautiful relationship with the Savior that he's given, that he's offered me. And I fixate on him. That's Ephesians 5. That's the the filling of the Spirit. I'm fixating on what God has done for me. And, and being grateful for those things God's done. I'm letting go of the hurt in my past and, and looking forward and walking with my Savior. Yeah. So that's the common knot is fixating on past. And that's how I think God wants to untie it. And real quick, that's a real quick overview. Man, I, I think that, uh, I think that you, know, you said it earlier, uh, we don't teach the theology of pain very well. Um, the prosperity gospel has hijacked yes. any any conversations about it's created another theology that it has to do with you know your own your own lack of faith we i, I would just uh, uh we say that faith is is not how um 
is not how we get God to do things. It's how we get to the God for whom nothing is impossible. And it's not how we wield the power of God. It's how we submit to the power of God. Yes. And to the authority of Christ. And so when you are, uh, when you're describing this, you're talking about what we see uh, in our following Jesus is always determined by what we see. Yeah. You know, you cannot follow someone you cannot see or hear. Um, and so when we're trying to move people forward, we're trying to say, let me just teach you to look at Jesus. Let me teach you what he sounds like and what he looks like. Um, yeah. Fo- yeah. You know, following always leads to trust. And, you know, in our conversation, uh, trusting is always about how you think. You know, that it's what I'm going to think about my past, my wounds. It's what do I think about everything that's being projected out of my head? And, um, and my, uh, and I'm just observing and I want you to interact with this, however you choose. Um, We tend to think that the fruit of trust is peace. But the scripture might tell us that the fruit of trust is actually obedience. And the fruit of obedience is peace. Yeah. Um, And that's where the idea of forgiveness comes in, is that the fruit of trust in this deep wound is to say, God, I am going to trust you and obey you when it comes to forgiveness. Yeah. Is is that an accurate way of describing what you're telling me? Um uh, Am I missing? Um, some somewhat. Um, you you know, you can say no. Our, <laughs> <laughs> well, I I would just nuance it differently. Yeah. Um, I I think you know in discipleship we always emphasize obedience. Yeah. And I do think obedience puts us under the protection of God. Yeah. And that protection can bring peace. Mm-hmm. Be, because you know if I if he says don't do that and if you do that, you're going. It's going to get you in trouble. So if I I obey, and not do that, there's a peace that comes with that because yeah. I'm walking in the in the provision of God and the providence yeah. of God and sure. His protection. But I would say, you can be obedient to God and not trust Him. And and my 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 my. Uh, Probably my case study for that would be the uh, would be uh, the Levitical priest. Uh, you know, to, it it would be the. I could be ahead. a case study for that too. Okay, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm like that. Yeah. Yeah. The the Pharisees yeah. were much more obedient to the law than I am. Yeah. But their hearts were lost. Yeah. They they did not know a sa- the Savior. They did not know the God they obeyed. Right. So they didn't really trust Him. So I think I think you know the M O of the like the Old Testament. I think we were like children, and so the, the emphasis was on obedience. Trust was still there. Right. Trust was still there, but it seemed like the the emphasis of the old testament it was obeyed just like children right but in the, in the new testament we're called to walk as adult children that's right. the language of the new testament sure and the adult child doesn't just obey but they trust and right. what i would say is um a, a child 
a child can obey a parent, but their their heart could still be in turmoil mm-hmm. because they want their own way and they're not getting their own way. Right. But they think I got to do what my, what the parent says. Right. But the parent, if the parent did a good job parenting, they'd say, "Honey, son, look in my eyes. Look in my eyes. Trust me. Trust me. This is this is." going to be the right thing for you it's going to be good for you yeah. and that's when the child's heart goes out of turmoil into peace yeah is the trust in the father and the parent yeah. so slaves you know that's that uh, that's that galatians 3 and 4 passage mm-hmm. that you know a child's no different than a slave because uh in in a way going into mm-hmm. to chapter 4 if mm-hmm. you remember a child's no different than a slave because if the child doesn't do what they're supposed to do, they beat them. If the slave doesn't do what they do, they're supposed to do, they beat them. But when the right time came, when the time came, when they became mature, they became a son. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when they start trusting. And so that's how I'd make a distinction uh, between those two. I like that. Um, Psalms uh, 37 says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then dwell in the land and enjoy the safe pasture. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you yes. and I, uh, so in 2008, um, as an act of trust, you stepped away from what you knew into what you didn't, but what you were called, you trusted the Lord and and did good. Um, yeah. And while, uh, and, and everything inside of you should have created turmoil. Where will the money come? How will this happen? Does anybody want this? Is this, uh, but there was a piece that came into your life. I think we're saying actually the same journey with different words, because what I'm hearing you saying is that, is that you can, you can obey God and not trust him. Uh, And God provides the peace of his protection in that process. Uh, Sometimes our heart has to catch up to, to our thinking and vice versa. Well said. Um, well said. And so I love, I love what you're saying. I like the way you nuance that. Um, Tim, I want to, um, I want to turn to two things really quick. Uh, one of them is, um, can you tell me about finding home uh, in God's heart? Uh, you wrote it in 21. Yeah. Um, yep. wrote, tell me wrote, about that. Yeah. The reason I wrote that book is because people kept saying, uh, untying the knots of the heart is 22 lessons. Mm-hmm. And so it's long, it's long, it's a long thing. And people go, can you give us a taste? You know, can you give us, give us a, a, a morsel of, of what's in there? And that's what finding home in God's heart was, okay. is just a taste of some of the concepts, some of which after saying, you know, it's not concepts. Um, I hear I use that word. Um, so, some of the, the principles and things we talk about in Untying Knots of the Heart uh, I encapsulized in finding home in God's heart. So it's a, it's just a taste of how does God untie some of the knots that are caused from a dysfunctional family background? That's the only thing that I addressed in finding home in God's heart. Okay. Is, so you're talking about a process more than a principle. Yeah. This is the process that God is using. Oh, absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, really untying knots of the heart has some helpful biblical principles, but what makes it best, what makes it a a really good discipleship process is it's a process. 
And what we mean by that is we get people talking. We get people talking about what their default instincts yeah. are, what their default beliefs are, and uh, and and then get them talking about well, what are you thinking about when God says this? What do you think about? And get them processing it. Yeah. So that I think thank you so much for that clarity because yeah. that's important to this. So. Um, Go ahead. I'm telling, uh, you know, finding home in God's heart is not so much a process. It's just a book, mm-hmm. but it talks about some of the process of recovering from yeah. a dysfunctional family. But I think we, we tend to be instant. You know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, new is come. It's instant. Um, yeah. But yet Paul talks about at the very beginning of that chapter that um, that when this tent of ours is folded up, we have a, a perfect one made by God. And it's God who made us for this very purpose. But what do we do between the time that it's complete and it's promised? Uh, in it, it says we groan. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a great question. I, I, we keep fighting. Yeah. We keep yeah. fighting. I just um, I'm, I rotate the pulpit at uh, my church and and uh, we're in the book of Joshua. Interestingly, you know, when when God first promised the promised land to Israel and mm-hmm. was talking to Moses about it, he said, I'm going to give you the land. And he uses these words little by little. Yeah. And so that within a year, you'll take it over. Notice that God didn't say, I'm going to give it to you just right off the bat. What that tells me is God values process and he values us fighting for the promised land. Now, obviously the promised land represented a lot to Israel, represented peace, God's provision, it represented a home for them. And I think that that is representative of our own heart. Yeah. That God says, I want you to fight for your heart. I want you to fight for uh, your your brother's heart, your sister's heart. And I'm going to give it over to you little yeah. by little. We're going to yeah. take it over. And eventually you're going to dwell in it. And I will dwell with you Yeah, uh, in, in that good space. Yeah. So that that's the answer that comes to my mind right off the bat is, uh, yes, we don't have it right now. Yeah. But I, I am going to fight for my own heart. Absolutely. Because there's a lot of things fighting for it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's a lot of things that want to take over my mind and want to take over my heart. And when I say my heart, what we define that is that place of which I deeply believe and deeply feel and I deeply desire. Yeah. Those things I deeply believe and feel and desire. And so things are wanting to fight for my heart. Yeah. And I'm going to fight for it to to make sure they, they don't take it over, but God becomes the one who takes over my heart. Mm. It's a fight. Man, you say that so well, and I so appreciate the imagery of, of, of fighting. You know, Paul writes in the same chapter, he says, uh, so we make it our goal to please him. Yeah. We're fighting for it. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. We're fighting for it. We got Jesus all wrong. We don't do that anymore because yeah. he's made us new. And, uh, you know, and fighting for the reality that he wraps up that whole chapter with is that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. And that whole Amen. that whole process of, of moving 
in, in, in the limbo, you know, yes. uh, we, we, we've talked to uh, you and I haven't, but we've talked with other people about that. There is a limbo. There's the now and not yet of prophecy of scripture of, you know, in one sense, I am a hundred percent cooked, but in my lifetime, I'm half baked, yes. you know, <laughs> so to speak. Um, Tim, I think that, uh, I think that, um, we probably could spend the next five or six hours chatting about all this stuff because it's our hearts in our, um, and our process, but I want to respect your time um, because I know that you are uh, you are incredibly busy and gracious to pause for us today. Um, can you just say something to the person listening today uh, who is saying? Uh, to, I want you to address two people. Uh, I want you to address the person who's going. Um, I can't get spiritual traction. I have tried. I I go to church every Sunday. I do a devotion every week or every day. I, but I just can't seem to get spiritual traction to move past these hurts, habits, and hangups, these pains, these wounds. Can you give them something? And then the second person I want you to address is the one who's sitting there going, um, I know God told me to be a disciple maker, but I don't know where to begin. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. can, you, can you say something to both those people before we wrap this up? Yes, I'll, I will say something. Hopefully, it's the right something. We'll see about that. But hey, we can edit uh, it out if it's no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what What I would say to that person who says there's more, yeah, I would say this: God God gave you your emotions to to be a gauge that like the lights on your dash mm -hmm. dash of your car to be a gauge of what's happening inside of you. So if what's constantly happening inside of you, you're living in constant uh, sadness, depression, anxiety. If, if you have an addiction that brings more uh, peace to you and more life fulfillment than, than what God offers, uh, those are lash, lights on the dashboard that God has more for you. Mm. God has something more for you. He, he, he doesn't want you to live in sadness. He doesn't want you to live in fear. He doesn't want you to live thinking that, um, that porn is, is more life-giving than him. Mm. That, that is, there's so much more for you. And so what I would say to you is go after your heart. Those are, those are warning lights on the dashboard saying, go after your heart mm. and, and, and get discipled, get some, Get a mentor in your life to help you do that. Uh, plug into something like untying the knots of the heart. We're we're not the only uh, we're not the only gig on on the block either. There's a really good ministry called Regeneration, that is a fantastic ministry, and get involved in that or celebrate recovery and go after what's happening in your heart. Don't just sit and let uh, that happen. Uh, be active in fighting for your own heart. And if that's happening in one of your brother's or sister's heart, fight for their heart. Uh, fight fight for them. Get, get them involved in some type of discipleship program that goes after those deep innermost places of the heart. So that's what I would say to them. Uh, for the person who's saying, uh, I don't know if I could disciple, th this is what I would say is, you know, uh, actually, this is not an option. 
uh, Matthew 28, God calls us all to go and make disciples. That's not just the pastor. That's not just the missionary. We're all called to make disciples. So what does that look for you? Look like for you? It could mean you just take one person underneath your your arm or, or underneath your care, or at least take one, if not three. That's what I would say. Just take three on and say, okay, I'm going to do an experiment. I'm going to just for one year, uh, I'm going to say, let's sit down and and learn what it means to follow Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what a disciple is, to follow him. And th- this goes under what Leonard talks about saying yes. What am I going to say yes to, yeah. uh, to God and follow? Uh, and if you think I'm not qualified, that is not true. Uh, if if you believe in this gospel, if you believe in Jesus, you're qualified. Yeah. You you can be a co-journer. That this doesn't mean you have your act together. I don't have my act together, and still I influence people for Christ. And so if it's true of me, it's it could be true of you. Just take one person on, or maybe maybe three, and say for a year we're going to go after what it means to say yes to Jesus and follow yeah. after Him. So um, we're going to put a link to your show, uh, to your ministry in our show notes. Um, we're going to also link to your book. Uh, is there a place where somebody could, uh, is there materials that somebody could find that says untying the knots? Is that something that they yes. can have access to? Absolutely. Go to untying the knots of the heart. I know it's really long. Yeah. Untying the knots of the heart, uh, dot com. Okay. And you'll find all of our materials there. And you'll find Finding Home in God's Heart there, too, if you Great. want to buy it. You we can buy put... it on Amazon, but Amazon's 19-something. We don't put a price on it. Yeah. Amazon's the one that puts prices on that. But uh, you can buy it on our website for about 8 bucks cheaper. Okay. We will yeah. put uh, we'll put links to both of those things. Um, Tim, thanks for joining us today, man. I so appreciate you. And, and I have a feeling, like I said, we probably could talk for another five hours and feel like we yeah. just started. Yeah, uh, I so love you and your heart and your ministry. I love what you do, and uh, I'm just really honored that you would take a an hour of your time to spend with us as uh, on say yes and become. Oh, listen, the the honor is all mine. I I just so love and appreciate you, Leonard, and I mean that. And I can't wait to to get get in your presence again and just start talking to you. I just got so much out of our last time together in Denver. And I, I look forward to more times like that. Well, you should know that's all I got. So uh, next time <laughs> oh, you're going, he's really, he's just not that fun anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's true. And that's another thing people have got to know about you. You are fun. You are fun. So I had just such a great time with you. Thanks for having me on. And I hope it was helpful. Oh, I think it was great folks. Thanks for listening today and uh, go check the show notes and you will find untying the knots of your heart. Um, Let me just encourage you as Tim would, I'm sure uh, if you don't take a step, you really don't go anywhere. Take a step, get some help, find a place, find a mentor, find somebody to disciple, take a step and God will meet you there. Uh, And so we're just encouraged by that. Tim, thanks again. Thank you. Join us next time on Say Yes and Become.